This is WFA Talks, the 64th edition of our newsroom podcast. I'm News Director Greg Collard. With me are Tom Bullock and Michael Tomzik. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, Greg. What you been up to? Trying to raise money for the station. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not too late. Your pledge is tax deductible. Right. Stop, uh, Thank you. Stop. We can, we can. To everybody who gave, officially, hey, thank seriously, you. Thanks, it's y'all. over. Thanks. <laughs> yes, it has been busy. You've been up uh, several times this week early, coming in early and being on Morning Edition. Uh, it's true, and but I do not have the record. We have to say the new guy um, definitely, I think, has the record for being on air. And we're going to give a shout out to you, Jeff. Jeff Bundy. Yes, yes seriously. Um, who, you know, runs the campaigns and was a voice. I know I talked with him three days this week. Yeah. Um, but oh, he's, with, and worked, at, worked in the evenings, too. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Uh, he gets the Iron Man um, fundraising metal this week i'd agree yeah yeah so. good example of someone leading from the ground he was on the entire time it felt like and yeah. when he wasn't he was behind the scenes just doing so jeff this is our long way of saying thank you yes Thanks, and, jeff. and being very considerate of news too and mm-hmm. certainly with the what happened this week in san bernardino yeah and it, we were trying to you know trying to strike the balance there because mm-hmm. the news is so serious um for everybody who wondered, did we really need to do it? Um, we cut way back, and to be honest, we did. Um, I hate to say that. Believe me, we'd all rather just do news. But, um, you know, he made the call very early on. It's like we're going to scale way back on it because some things are more important, and that story was frankly more important. Okay. Well, on to other news items, and we'll talk a little bit about about gun control in a, in a, later in the, in the program. At first, uh, election filing started this week, and appropriately, Tom, you had uh, a story about campaign finance law, and the media is always suspicious about coordination between these so-called independent political groups and political campaigns, and, and they're always quick to point out that uh, they are prohibited from communicating with each other. Uh, but, Tom, that's no longer the case in North Carolina, at least in state races. That's right. And actually, if you, uh, when I spoke with uh, Kim Strack, the executive director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections, she made it clear it's actually never been the case. Um, this is one of the fun things. I know it sounds crazy, but this is why it's important that we dig into stuff like campaign finance, because it really is murky. And it's it's important to understand because, frankly, it influences votes, whether we think so or not. Uh, it has a direct impact on what happens in our lives, where, whether it's through which politicians are in office, but also, more importantly, what bills they pass and why they pass them. Um, it's it's fascinating. Here's the official thing. Coordination, as we uh, we actually said in one of the stories, it really is the nicest sounding dirty word in politics. Coordination for the rest of us is something that we do, you know, every day. It's, you know, Greg, you're my boss. You know, when we coordinate on a story or coordinate our schedules, that's a big thumbs up. Or Michael, if we're ever doing stuff together, when we coordinate, it shows cooperation. But cooperation at what cost is what we were trying to get at when we delved into the campaign finance story this week. And um, here's the short of it. Uh, On the federal level, so basically if you're running for, say, the White House or Congress, you are officially barred from coordinating directly with outside groups, the 501c3s and 501c4s of the world. And the reason for that actually goes back to why campaign finance law was started in the first place, to eliminate this, whether it's a quid pro quo situation or even the perception of corruption. Because if Michael is a politician and I'm an outside group and I come to you and say, hey, guess what? Um, you know, I've got $100 million to spend. Would you like it if I spent money on your behalf and attacked your your opponent? You would probably say. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and then I do that and I come back to you and say, okay, well, you remember that time I helped you out? 
Yeah. Well, and, and these outside groups, their donors are secret, right? That's so right. So that's a big key too. Like we don't know. Whereas if the you know John Adams donates whatever directly to a candidate, we at least know. Okay, John Adams made this contribution. Let's see what the candidate does for John Adams during his term. With these outside groups, it's like a black box. And no limits either. Not just secret, but no limits. And, yeah, exactly. And also they can take corporate cash, whereas in you know state-level candidates in North Carolina are barred from taking corporate don- donations. So it's this really interesting situation where you basically have organizations that can circumvent all of the state-level – almost all, I should say – of the state-level campaign finance laws that are now able to directly – sit down with a candidate and say, not only we'd like to run ads, would you like that? The situation Michael and I just played out. Not only, you know, let's let's make sure, you know, what if we hit the Charlotte market and you hit the Raleigh market? Not only sharing information on opposition research, which is, you know, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that classic dirt that they everybody digs up on, on political candidates, they can do all of it. They can literally sit down to message, messaging, means, you name it. Um, with some clear exceptions, which I'll get to here in a second, but it's um, but it's always been. You're, this is a now. This is a, I said it's no longer the case, but you said it's actually not true. It's it's just that there's now a ruling that people we know that it's not the case. It's gone from a gray area to black and white, okay. and that's why we actually started the story with the line. Officially, it's a clarification. So what happened is this uh, campaign finance lawyer from Raleigh, a guy named Michael Weisel. Um, who works for these groups. He's, you know, a legal advisor for these groups. He basically came out and said, wrote a letter actually to the State Board of Elections that said, look, let's make sure everybody's playing by the same rules here. Can we directly coordinate? And Kim Strack wrote back and said, there's nothing in the statute that prohibits it. So what that means is when her ruling was issued, it's officially called an advisory opinion. Mm -hmm. When that was issued, when she published that, everybody knew it. So even though it is not a change in the law, this clarification, this changing of a gray area to black and white does open the door to full-on coordination, again with some limits. So was there, co- was there coordination going on in statewide races? For state office, Was or, were, now they can basically get together, have a meeting, say, hey, we'd like you to do this, and maybe mm-hmm. we could do this and just plan strategy together. Is there any evidence that, that was going on before? And that we know that's prohibited on the federal level. Do we know if that was going on, say, in, in gubernatorial races? Well, or? Michael Weissel, who's, who lives in this world, okay. clearly thinks that it was mm-hmm. um, because he, that's why he came out and said, I, you know, I want to make sure everybody's playing mm-hmm. the same game. They're playing by the same rules. It's, you know, honestly, it's, it would be difficult to go back in right. 2015 to, to point to those kinds of instances. But now we know, know they can. Now we know they can. Absolutely. Now, I, you know, I keep saying I'm going to get to the limits and I do want to do that because <clears throat> it's only fair. Um, the limits, though, are surprisingly um, they're they're surprisingly precise and they're surprisingly easy for groups to get around. Um, the limits are, and I know this sounds wonky, but I'll go through it pretty quickly. The first thing is issue groups have to stay on issues, so they can't just have it be pure politics. It needs to be like, um, you know, we want to open Medicaid, or we think that teachers deserve to be paid less, or you know, whatever. You pick your issue. They have to stay focused on that. That's point number one. Point number two is what's called no expressed advocacy, which is basically the ads they put out or the mailers that they they send off to your mailbox can never say vote for or vote against one particular candidate. You know, it's but what's interesting to me is how easily it is to get around that. If you watch any attack ad, it's rare that you hear the word vote. 
Um, we have an example in the story, which I Tell think is Barack a good one. Barack Obama, we don't want such a big government yeah. anymore. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, you. The, it's amazing how powerful of uh, an election statement you can make without ever using the word vote. Mm-hmm. The final thing is this thing that's it's called the electioneering window. And basically what it means is about 60 days prior to both the primary and the general election that these outside groups can't run any ads that are coordinated that feature the image of a candidate on either side, either one they support or against or use their name. If they do, it becomes a campaign contribution. So they would be most likely breaking the law since a single television ad run during a heavy election year like 2016 will be would easily cross the $5,100 threshold that these, you know, the campaign finance limits set up. But you could do everything you need to accomplish before, like with uh, research, commercials, all that, and have it all ready to go. Absolutely. And, and then run it after the, within that 60-day window because you're not coordinating anymore. Uh, it might be a little tricky. The image thing could turn into a to a, um, a a campaign contribution, but think of it differently. Think of it like this, Greg. The, I mean, give it if they give it to the campaign if they within before that sixty days. That's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, even if even if you assume that the the those two sixty day windows, right, the the hundred and twenty day total package mm-hmm. is completely off limits for these groups. Let's imagine that. That leaves you 245 days. Actually, 246 because this year's this 2016 is a leap year. 246 days where they can do all of this. And what happens during that time? Oh, the General Assembly is also in session. So at a time when you do not have when state lawmakers are not allowed to lobby, they're not allowed to take lobbyist money. You still could sit down with these outside issue groups to talk about issues. And I'm doing little air quotes here. And that could be as powerful as any lobbying cash and frankly probably would outweigh the impact of any lobbying cash they would take and elections are going on all the time campaigning yeah, yeah totally so and this this isn't just we think of the governor's race or or legislative races but judicial candidates can be in theory be sitting down yeah. with with uh, representatives of the Koch brothers and absolutely uh, <laughs> yeah that's like, that's exactly and to be fair again because every side does it or representatives of George Soros I mean that's the right. thing that's fascinating to me in fact um I'm part of this uh, uh, political partnership thing with NPR, and one of the reporters, Dave Davies. What political partnership? Uh, the NPR political partnership. It's, it's, it's got a silly name. You are part of a political partnership with NPR. That's you, correct. You were chosen for that. I just wanted to give people that context. Yes, but it has a silly name, so we'll skip it. Okay. Anyway, Dave Davies, who's one of the other reporters, um, he did a story which is, you know, you, you think about this, and it sounds crazy, but it will happen here too because that's where politics is going. Super PACs. Right. Big money that used to be focused solely on national races are now uh, having a direct hand in the race for the mayor of Philadelphia. Hmm. Super PACs. It's it. This is why it's important to watch this stuff. It's fascinating. It's a great little strategic game, but it's, uh, you know. And and this applies to um, local like mayor's races, too. Right. This Mm -hmm. state rule, because I know just one example this this year. Uh, we were talking to uh, Dan Clodfelder's campaign was using actually a photo that you shot um, uh, sometime last year when after, he took he took office, off, yep. after he took office and they were using it in their campaign uh, materials. And I called and emailed and had some discussions and asked them to no longer use it and they agreed. And we went back and forth because it did pop up again and they said that stuff was already the printer and all that. Well, then at near the end of the campaign, then there was another group that had that same photo I forget the name of the I group. I didn't know that. Yes, yes, you didn't. Oh, yeah, no. yes, yes. Uh, and <laughs> and I called the and I called um, 
uh, Claude Felter's campaign, talked to uh, his uh, the person running that campaign, and she had said, well, I think that's this group. I forget the name of the group. And um, and she had emailed me and, and also had spoken to me just saying, and there is absolutely no coordination that we can have with these groups. Greg Collard, I think you just answered yeah. your own question. Right. <laughs> and I well, think they it- might not have coordinated. It might have been a coincidence, but she was, she was, in her view, certainly she was saying we cannot do this. We cannot talk. Well, well it was within the 60 days, so I guess technically she couldn't have then either, but – but she was it was just so definitive that yeah that's interesting and to be clear mm-hmm. we gave no permissions for them to do this we did not know they were doing it. when we saw it we immediately asked them to take it down i don't want to make it sound like we no. were happy to no no and she and she and i think yeah but, but that, i don't want to get into the details of that but uh are too much more but um yeah so that's that's just an example where it was just so much emphasized to me that we cannot ever talk to them at all and, mm, now well, the rules have changed yeah so well, speaking of statewide politics, on Tuesday, to no one's surprise, the first day of uh, the candidates can file, Governor McCrory said he's going to announce that he's running for re-election. I thought he was going to run for attorney yeah. general just, yes, to, just to mix tweeted, things no, totally up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he tweeted it out and uh, all that. But uh, he also um, has an interesting fundraising uh, letter that went out this week uh, saying for a donation of $5 or more to the governor's campaign, we will send you your very own – I don't believe in the Raleigh News and Observer bumper sticker. Gosh. <laughs> and then it goes on to say the fundraising letter, the liberal media, radical left, and professional protesters have been attacking the governor since day one. Just yesterday, the NNO launched another attack on the governor. I'm not sure when this email, if that was what sometime what exact, this week that attack was, that latest attack. But act now and get your very own limited edition bumper sticker and let your neighbors know where you stand. First, what about the Observer, the Charlotte Observer? So, <laughs> you, you, are they left the out? They're owned by the there. same company, yeah. And it's his hometown newspaper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he, and he does cut down the Charlotte Observer a lot too. So yeah. he, he's always made it clear that he does not care for the state media. Yeah, and I'm, I'm in some ways it's uh, – it, you so rarely hear uh, a politician get specific like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean you hear all the shots about the liberal media and the liberal media. Fox News has made that like a, a pinata for all Republican politicians. But for him to actually call out, you know, one of the biggest, if not the biggest newspapers in this state and the one that's, you know, centered out of where he is that covers him every day. I I was just stunned by that. I mean, that's just uh, it it is certainly not a moderate move. Let me put it that way, (laughs) because there are plenty of, you know, the the NNO gets stuff wrong at times. We get stuff wrong at times, but we do corrections when we do that. And, you know, our goal is always to try to just explain what is going on. So I, I was just really taken aback to see, you know, the specific call out of the News and Observer. Well, and, and to add to that, sorry to interrupt, Greg, but to add to that, I also want to know if they've, they've infringed on the News and Observer's trademark because the logo the font, oh, yeah. the way so, they do everything is exactly from the News and Observer. So, hey, if you're listening. And it is in return. You're asking for money. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's an interesting that's a, question. Interesting. Um, and maybe there's some subtle change they made to try to get away with it. But uh, um, If I can add one thing real quick on bumper stickers, I think both of you would really appreciate this. Uh, so my grandpa actually has an I hate the liberal media bumper sticker on the back <laughs> of his truck. <laughs> so this is actually an issue. I know, I'm like, Grandpa, that's okay. That's yeah. I. Uh, well, which which liberal media do you hate? And you can never really get specific. Yeah. I'm like, okay. he hates you. Thank you, Grandpa. No, you're Tom not liberal. You're not, you're I know. Not, I'm like, you're so he would he would appreciate your. Yeah, point. exactly. I was like, but you like NPR, right? Okay, good. We're not the liberal media. Perfect. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to say: it, it, the saying it used to be um, the old saying was, uh, "You don't want to piss off people who buy ink by the barrel." 
Uh, <laughs> Although it's, yeah, there's not as, there's, it's there's not as much ink. I know the time, yeah. it shows how times have changed. How about but, bits by the barrel? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's more online, but that's <laughs> yeah. And it's also, I mean, this is the age-old, probably dating back to I don't know the first time a Greek or Roman put up a, a flyer on a wall. It's sure. like don't shoot the messenger. I would, I would much happily listen to Pat McCrory go through and tell me why the Observer is wrong, as opposed to watch him basically try to campaign on what is now turned into i mean exactly what michael was saying it like a very straightforward trope like we know how this story goes it's yeah. it's it's become when you don't know what to say on your stump speech attack the media and it's not to say that he hasn't been um subject of some unfair reporting i think we've uh we've noted that before in our sure. newsroom on yeah. a few things but uh, to be to be that uh but the beef there and was... I don't, i'm not even saying it's by the by the news and observer i just right. know we've had some general discussions about some some mm-hmm. stories yeah there are times where there have been ap reports that we within the newsroom have felt you know perhaps were not as fair as they should be but mm-hmm. I, I don't remember seeing any of those specifically from NNO reporters. Those were from AP reporters. Yeah. This NNO, this last uh, latest NNO report, I thought was pretty darn good about the whole prison contract. I did and too. And how that Very. was, uh, and we, we talked to, I know we've, we've spoken about that before. I thought that was darn good reporting. I know that well, that, that upset them. So. Mm-hmm. And speaking of newspapers, there's going to be a new statewide newspaper called the North State Journal, and you're doing a story on that, Michael. Yeah, we were all really interested to get the release saying, wait a minute, someone's starting a newspaper that's going to deliver across the state. It's like at a time when everything in the newspaper industry is going the opposite direction, making it work online, circulation's going down, newspapers are in a lot of trouble doing cutbacks. There's this group that wants to start a statewide newspaper. And they were emphasizing the print portion of it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Their whole point is to go print. Um, So it's it's really interesting. And I, I sat down with the publisher this week for an interview, and his take is basically that you know, he thinks that you have, you know, pretty good coverage of issues in big cities that have papers, Charlotte Observer, News and Observer, whatever. But we have 100 counties in North Carolina, and he feels like there are a lot of stories that are really good, that are local stories, but that people across the state are interested in that just aren't getting covered or could be covered more. So his thought is we're going to launch this newspaper to try to tell those stories. It'll be uh, $250 a year, and it'll deliver five days a week, Tuesday through, I think, Friday and then Sunday. Um, and and they're going to do more coverage of – so, like, sports will be one of their big things, and they're going to really emphasize UNC Charlotte, UNC Wilmington, ECU, and Appalachian State in addition to, you know, Carolina and Duke, who you mm-hmm. normally hear about – it kind of fits into their big umbrella of we think that people are interested in these other state stories. Uh, there are huge alumni bases of UNC Charlotte, ECU, sure. whatever, who are all over the state who don't get to hear the coverage as much. Um, it's an example of how he thinks they can do a job of creating a newspaper that people will want to get delivered and will and, enjoy reading. And never giving away any of it online. Yeah, so a big part of his model is nothing goes out for free. There's not going to be you know, even a, a limited number of stories you could read online before uh, you hit a paywall. The paywall is just like you know, first thing you hit um, because they don't want to give anything away for free. And, and frankly, they, they probably wouldn't be able to afford to. I mean, when I've been talking to some um, analysts this week about th- this business model, Newspapers are so expensive. There's a reason everyone is switching to online, um, or at least you know making a bigger push online. Online is cheap. You know, mm-hmm. newspapers you're paying for the cost of cutting down the trees, the ink, the printing, the delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really big upfront cost. So it'll be fascinating to see uh, how the newspaper does and and if it catches on. 
Yeah, that story will be probably air next Tuesday. I know you're still working on it. And uh, the paper's going to start up in February? Yeah. Okay. And, and for the record, I just want to throw this out there because it makes me laugh. Um, so NC State fans still can count on no coverage because nobody ever pays Oh, no, attention. they're in the mix. No, they're in the mix. <laughs> yeah, they have, they have the largest yeah. alumni base, don't they? Yeah, they, they probably do. <laughs> so that's what I've, I've heard. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not. They're the I've biggest of the that. schools. Yes. Yeah, they are. Of course, the biggest news this week is uh, the tragedy in San Bernardino. Uh, details about the people responsible and their motivations are still being sorted out, but it's uh, also, and, and we're not going to get into that here, but it's also helped revitalize the gun control debate. And there's been some high profile changes to North Carolina's gun laws the last few years. Both of you have reported on them. Michael, give us a general rundown of what the General Assembly's been been up to the last couple of years when it comes to uh, gun laws. The, the biggest changes happened uh, the first session that McCrory was in office. So the first time that we'd had Republicans in control of the legislature and the governor's mansion in like a century. Um, and uh, our legislature with its very, uh, with the super majorities of Republicans has been pushing to make it easier and easier for people to get guns or to carry their guns in certain places. Um, the big law that passed in 2013 essentially breaks down to expanding gun rights for people who follow the law, but also increasing criminal penalties for people who don't. So, you know, you can now concealed carry uh, at parades, playgrounds, restaurants, bars. Um, you can go to schools or colleges as long as you keep them locked in the car. Um, Tom did a good story this summer about how they had to then clarify that because some schools were trying to keep that from happening. So they passed another law this year that was like, OK, for sure, you can bring these uh, as long as you keep them locked up and you can use an affirmative defense uh, to you're allowed to use the thing if you were basically protecting people in the school or, or you know, taking out somebody. Mm -hmm. And it fits into this idea that's popular among a lot of Republicans, which is. You know, a guy with a gun is the best defense against another guy with a gun. There was this amazing quote that you used in your story that you did this summer about it, where one of the Republicans during the debate was like, you know, talking about how we need to have these guns here and there. And he's like, if my friend Mr. Smith and Mr. Wesson mm -hmm. was here, you know, it'd be a different ball game. And it's like, you know, they really believe that, that that's the right that's the right change. So along with that, they've also been uh, making stricter penalties. So there were changes in that. Um, you could really boil it down to uh, if you commit a serious crime with a gun because of the changes that uh, North Carolina lawmakers have made, you will serve more time. Um, and their argument, the Republicans' argument for that has been, look, we're going to make it easier for people who follow the law and go through this training to have access to guns because we think they should have it and they're following the law. Um, but people who break the law, we're going to put stiffer penalties in place. You know, going back to that story, I think one of the things that's interesting is that law that they tried to pass also included the right for anyone to carry concealed weapons through the General Assembly. And they actually shot down that provision. No pun intended. Really? They actually did, which, of course, made me want to laugh that they just did. They were just worried there weren't enough good politicians with guns to stop <laughs> the bad politicians with guns. But, um, you know, what was the reasoning for that? I it was just it was all part of a very long and complicated debate that even included, you know, the police chiefs union, I believe, or the Association of Police Chiefs coming through to say, you know, that they at one point they were talking about getting rid of certain statewide um, background checks for for pistol uh, purchases by the Sheriff's Association, actually. And they were against it because it does allow them to go through and try to in certain situations do their own background checks to try to make sure that people who have guns are legally can have them. Um but it's just, you know, the gun debate in America to me is really fascinating, whether it's in the General Assembly and it's all the changes that Michael just laid out or whether it's in, you know, 
everybody's individual homes. The, the, the debate is continually to stay the same, even as the nomenclature around it changes. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we took President Obama's um, statement yesterday. Um, we're taping this, obviously, on Thursday uh, or on Friday. We took his statement on Thursday live, and he said something to me, and my reaction to it surprised me as much as any reaction I've had to anything. And that was, he said, we still don't know if this is terrorism. That, of course, has been advanced since, mm-hmm. since he said that. It could just be workplace violence. And workplace violence was the out. Workplace violence was the, that's not so bad. Mm-hmm. And it just surprised me that that has come, that's become such a thing now that it's like, it's, it's our security blanket. It's what makes us feel a little better about what is, in, you know, a tragedy. It, oh, if it's just workplace violence, that's, that's okay. Um, but it's a complicated issue. And, you know, it's, it's complicated by the simple fact that this is in the Constitution, and how we interpret what that means, what the right to bear arms means, means that I don't see this debate changing um, with two political parties that are both equally entrenched in their own ideology and don't seem to be willing to at least sit down and talk, let alone compromise. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps, um, I mean, one, the one thing, I, I, I've, I, which I didn't know this, I've heard a lot this week, that people on the terror watch lists can yeah, purchase guns. That surprised me too. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, but again, it, it varies from from you know, state to state in a lot of the cases. And, you know, I grew up out West. I grew up with, you know, guns everywhere. I mean, we got... Also lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. we got deer hunt off when I was in school because hunting was such a popular activity. Mm-hmm. Um, but attitudes attitudes about guns change place to place, pe- person to person. And it's it's complicated, but it's one of those issues we'll stay on because it's it's it defines our time, I think, in, well, and, in and, many ways. And, and to your point, Tom, about just like, you know, sort of the intractability on both sides. I think the... Everyone probably agrees at this point, I would hope everyone agrees at this point, that like, okay, we have a growing and deadly problem with gun violence. One of the issues is each side has a completely different solution and thinks the other solution is wrong. Mm -hmm. So because of that, it's two trains passing in the wind. The Democrats think the answer is to make it harder to get these guns. Why should you be able to have Mm -hmm. an assault rifle um, if you're, you don't need that to hunt, uh, the Republicans respond, the best way to protect ourselves is to have more guns. Mm-hmm. So if, if someone were, you know, hanging out in San, at, you know, at the county health department office party with their own assault rifle, then maybe they could have stopped the person who had the assault rifle. Yeah. So as long as your solutions are completely opposed to each other and you can't get, you know, decides to agree on something else i feel like we're just going to keep doing this dance i mean to me that nothing well i shouldn't say nothing that very few things changed after an elementary school after elementary school kids were slaughtered Mm -hmm. to me that was sort of the mark where it's like okay america's never going to do anything about this like if if that is not bad enough to motivate congress to make changes then I don't know what possibly is. I, I literally don't. I mean, you cannot have a more horrific crime than a bunch of little kids getting shot to death at school. And it's hard to believe, but that was three years ago this month. I know. It's incredible yeah. to think. It all boils down in the end to what you think is at fault mm-hmm. in this situation. Is it the weapon or is it the person? And as Michael said, and you said this, I mean, I won't say it nearly as eloquently as you said, but as long as those two ideas are never even discussed on equal footing in the same room by the same group of people, then we're just going to have to basically, I hate to say this, but we have to start looking at this as 
if not the status quo, then certainly where we're at until somebody is willing to do, you know what, let's not forget, Reagan's press secretary did, Brady, mm -hmm. and use what happened and an understanding of what happened to at least bridge a divide. Well, and to your point, Tom, I mean, Sandy Hook was three years ago. We're still having the, we could have, we could have had this exact same conversation the Friday after Sandy Hook. Well, on that, uh, I think um, that wraps up another edition of WFE Talks. Uh, I don't feel like playing the theme music. No, I don't yeah, agree. Yeah. Agreed. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Thank Greg. You.